0: It's a beautiful thing, the message of the cross. And I think sometimes, you know, cartoons or the veggie tales, they really try to tell a story that they can't tell. It's very difficult to tell it, um, even to our kids. And um, I know it's sometimes a challenging thing just to relay that story, but the message of the cross, it's a graphic one, even for kids. And um, said, time for the kiddies to go, Dave. Yes? Yes, no, Vegetables. <laughs> you can go, the kitties can go to Kitties Church. Yeah. You want to tackle me, Wallabies? I thought you were going to tackle me. Okay, if there's one thing, one thing that I want you to take with you, if you're going to go home today, it would be this. Everybody in Shofar UK must be excited about discipling people. If there's this one thing that I want you to take with you, just one thing, if you can just... Put that slide on the Great Commission there. The Great Commission, the call to love. This is what each and every one of us have been called to do. It's to disciple people. All of us. Um, They say when somebody gives his last command before he dies, it's very important words. And with Christ, it works a bit different. So when he died, he said, it's finished. Very important words on the cross. But what makes his words after that even more compelling and interesting is the fact that he rose again and then he spoke again for 40 days. And one of the messages that he said was, go and make disciples. So that's important. If you go today, remember that I must make disciples wherever I am. And we're going to start keeping each other accountable to that. The second thing that I just want to mention, which is important to me, um, there's so much fixation nowadays around what is God's purpose for my life, what must I do, where must I go next. Can I ask that we just put that on the secondary self? And can I ask that we focus on what, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do today? So many people, they struggle to move forward because they're always looking at what's God's next plan. Where does God want to take me? But in terms of discipleship, God speaks every day. And what's important is that we put that on the primary shelf. What does God want to do today? Before he gives... I I don't know of anybody in scripture that got their full life's plan. I don't know any... uh, Moses never knew... Jacob never knew. Paul never knew. If you were to tell Paul, Paul, they're going to throw you with stones. I read it this morning. They threw him with stones and they thought he was dead. But he wasn't dead. But I want to encourage you to stick to what God is saying to you now. What must you do now? That's more important than the plan. Because if you do it step by step, you'll come to the plan But the focus for discipleship is this. And when we talk about discipleship this morning, Barry, if you could help me again, my brother. It's a track. And we're going to walk on this track. Now, it starts with a cross for each and every one of us. We can't start discipleship without the message of the cross. And then we grow together on this track. We walk together. So, Each and every one of us must take somebody by the hand and disciple him. It's not only for the pastor or the small group leaders. Everybody in church must do it. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment by our Lord Jesus Christ. He said so himself. He said, go and make disciples. Go. We were made to go. Go and make disciples. It's very important. The third thing that I wanted to share in this discipleship quickly, the track, if you can go to the next one for me, Barry, please. It means that when we disciple people, we must help people to grow emotionally. That's the one side of the track and spiritually. They must grow emotionally and spiritually. If you go to the next slide, the other side is that they must grow in their biblical worldview. And both should be balanced. So we're going to help people grow on an emotional and spiritual level. And and, and we're using the train analogy because trains are great here. Trains are great. In, 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 In the northern hemisphere, trains are brilliant. The other side is so that they would grow in their worldview a love for scripture. Then, if we go to the next slide, we see the balance. So, Love and identity, a love for the truth, a love to grow spiritually. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at it today because this is important. This is important stuff. And how do we do it in shofar? If we go to the next slide, number one, we do it through our Bible school. That's how we disciple people. Bible school one, Bible school two, Bible school three. So the trains are the way that we do it on the tracks. We're not a church with small groups. We're a small group church. We're not a church with small groups. We're a small group church. We started like Jesus started with his 12 Bible school. We do our foundations and our encounter series. So, everybody that comes to the cross, stands in front of the track in the station, somewhere along the line they must get up on the we're going to train and disciple them to become emotionally mature, spiritually mature, and in Scripture. So today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at, and I've entitled my sermon "Restoring and Restoring is Gone," because of the fun, most probably that's not on the laptop, and so we threw it differently. Restoring a culture of discipleship—that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Why is this important? Now, I can tell you, me and my wife's discipleship journey, it, it hasn't been easy, eh? Hey? I can tell you that. We're going to look at it, why is it not easy? But just look at what Jesus said. Jesus said that, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That was Jesus' first challenge to his disciples. Now, this for me speaks of lordship. In other words, who do you belong to? Drop everything, leave everything. I'm Lord of your life. Follow me. That's where discipleship start. He said, follow me. Don't follow trends. Don't follow people. Don't follow what's popular. Follow me. Follow me. I'm Christ. I'm the voice. You follow me. That's important. Drop everything. And then Jesus said to them, and I will make you. I will make you fishes of men. When I look at this journey for me and wasn't it wasn't easy. I can recall a time when we were sitting with a couple at a restaurant in South Africa and the husband was pointing at me. He was foaming the way he was angry. He was so angry, he did that in front of the waiter and I had to tell the waiter, sorry, don't come back. Um, His wife was shocked. She was looking at him because she thought, did I marry him? He was so angry. I can remember time when I was told in Worcester, me and my wife, we were the cause of some guy's death. But he slept around and we warned him and he got a, a lady pregnant in another church and we had to talk with him. He didn't want to listen. Outside of his drove, his car broke. Overturned, he died. We were told, you were the cause of his death. I can remember a time you know right here in the UK where spiritual leaders dropped F-bombs F-bombs on WhatsApp to me and my wife. Spiritful leaders. It's not David and Sally, don't worry. But spiritual leaders did it. Now that I've got your attention. <laughs> Anger, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness, wanted to explode in both of us. Or, we could use all those opportunities that I explained to you about, we could see it as an opportunity to disciple people. We chose the latter. I want to ask you this morning, what are you going to do? That's what I want to know. God's ultimate growth goal for you and me is not so much to become a good disciple, but rather to become an effective and productive disciple maker. I can remember the guy that dropped the F-bomb sitting with him in Nando's and telling him, look, I surely hope you don't speak to your boss like that, but Christians don't do that. And I can remember he telling me, you know, um, other times I would have just walked away, but this was the only way that I could express myself. And you know what I told him? I told him, it's good. I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you don't walk away. I'm proud that you're at least sharing your heart. But just don't share it in that way. All of us, are. We gonna, we're going to come to a point where we're going to decide if we want to be offended or walk away. Or we're going to use opportunities like that to disciple people. Because this is what it's about. It's about growing. Just look what Jesus said. If we are committed to see people grow emotionally and spiritually, we will grow emotionally and spiritually. You know, it doesn't matter how much you know, how many churches you've been, how many courses you have done. But if you've never discipled somebody from being an infant in Christ, maturity, your knowledge means nothing. Nothing. And it's important that we do understand it because that is how Christ designed it. And there's so many brilliantly gifted people out there within the body of Christ, but it's so difficult for them to walk a road with people. And it's always difficult sitting down with them and talking to them about discipleship because we're talking from two different planes. They don't understand the principle of laying one's life down to let somebody else grow to maturity even better than you. It's just too difficult. Now, if we continued with this obsession to receive more spiritual heights without discipling anybody, we become empty. Every one of us, God has placed inside of us the ability to nurture and to care for someone. It's in every one of us. So secular humanism has crept into the church and a lot of people are thinking it it, it must be about me. It must be about me growing. It's not. It's about taking somebody by the hand. Let's read John chapter 15 verse 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name he must give you the focus this morning for me is about sharing life it's sharing your fruit but more than that is to share yourself with somebody and i'm going to say this again every person in church must be excited about this everyone That's the only way that we're going to take this nation or any nation. We don't send people to causes or give them books. Go read it and grow. No. We get our hands dirty. And we disciple people from the bottom of our hearts. And today we're going to look at this. How do I share myself? And as the problem in all first world countries, it's very difficult to share ourselves. Very difficult. We would love to do discipleship from a distance. Christ doesn't do it. You see, it's the incarnation principle. Christ could have sent us a fax, hey. Christ could have sent us an email. He could have shouted, Do this! Do that! But he didn't. He came himself. He came through a woman. He lived with us. He hanged out with us. He chilled with us. He visited a wedding. He visited funerals. He chilled. And I just wish so many people will get this. Seriously. In the body of Christ, God is wanting to restore this culture. It's a culture beyond the conferences. It's a culture beyond the large gatherings. It's a one-on-one culture where you come into my home and we work this thing out and through so that you can grow in Christ. And there's nothing wrong with the conferences. There's nothing wrong with the big gatherings. I mean, we also have conferences. The challenge is, after the conference... After all's been said and done, who's going to take whose hand and walk them through? And so now, that's the standard that Jesus said he would obtain through his mercy. And it's the standard he said. Jesus said to the disciples, come, I will make you fishes. Then Jesus says to them, go, now you must go and make fishes. I love the way Jesus plants church. Now, if you look at Jesus' stats, everybody would say Jesus was very unsuccessful with 12 people in church. With only 12, and then one betrays him. Oh, he couldn't have been successful. Stabbing him in the back. No, Jesus, you were not. Jesus was successful. Because Jesus knew how to lay his life down in three years. I just want to say, it, it's a biblical number. I want you to start thinking, if we're going to raise leaders in shofar, it's going to take us at least three to four years to raise a leader. There, there, there's exceptions, like the Apostle Paul. There are exceptions. But, you know, if we want to raise people, it's going to take three to four years. Take them through Bible school. Take them through the encounter series. Sit down with them. Talk with them. Fight with them. Cry with them. Laugh with them. Fight with them. Cry with them. Laugh with them. Be happy with them. Not be happy with them. It's going to take Time. It's not going to be instant oats. In the kingdom, we don't do instant oats. We do Matabella, old school style, Africa style. Mealy meal, you cook it. That's what we're going to do. And sometimes, you know, sitting down and sometimes I see people don't get it. And it's difficult to explain it to them. It's really difficult. And I want to say this morning, if you've never led somebody to the Lord, if you've never laid some hands on somebody so that they can speak in tongues, if you've never baptized anybody, if you've never sat for months with somebody and just talking with them about baptism, what Scripture says, how Scripture says it, if you've never sat down and talked with, sat down and talked with somebody... About the death of a family member and just helping through it. Don't be ashamed of it, but we're going to start helping. We're going to help you. We're going to help each other how to do this because it's important. And for now, as Jesus had done it, I want us also to look at Paul. Paul was this life sharing church planter. The man planted churches like nobody's business. But just watch what. Paul says to the believers in Thessalonica, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you, it was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. We don't speak to please any man, but to please God who tests our heart. Then Paul says, for we never came with flattery. We don't flatter people, as you know. Nor were the pretexts for greed. It wasn't for us about money. God is witness, Paul says. Nor did we see glory from any person. Whether from you or others. Though we could have made demands as apostles. I mean, Paul did some amazing miracles. He could have said, I'm an apostle. He didn't. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother. Oh, Paul has a way with words. Taking care of our own children. Then Paul says, so being affectionately, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, watch what Paul says, but also our own selves. Paul said, we didn't just preach the gospel, I gave my whole life for you. We shouldn't preach the gospel to anybody that we don't see as a potential friend. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. There's too much preaching of the gospel, like I'm preaching this to you and I'm walking out of your life. and No, no, no. Everybody can't be our friends, but we should see them as potential friends. Because you had become very dear to us. Paul's writing to a church. For you remember, brothers, our labor... Watch what Paul says. We work night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. Now, these are very, very powerful things Paul says. Paul says even God's a witness. That our conduct was holy. It's serious stuff toward you believers. Then Paul says, for you remember, sorry, Barry, for you know how now Paul turns from a mother to being a father, like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, Judea. For you suffered the same things. Paul says, the same things I suffered, you suffered. From your own countrymen as did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. Paul's talking about Opposition, but wrath has come upon them at last, Paul says. But since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, in person but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan stopped me. Spirits hindering Paul to go to these beloved brothers. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Now that's a beautiful picture of how you lay your life down for people. And we're going to look at it. We're going to look at Paul now. The first thing that we see, Paul shared his time. Paul and his co-laborers shared themselves. What does it mean when I and Paul says sharing ourselves? I thought I knew until I read Paul. So Paul says, number one, sharing time. Paul shared his time with his people. Paul was not too busy for them. If Paul were here today, Paul would tell a lot of people in church, you know, I don't have a problem with people that's busy. But I do have a problem with people who think they are busy alone. Paul would say that to a lot of people nowadays in church. But Paul shared his time. Time is a very scarce commodity. I get that, I understand it, I know it. But Paul says, if we want to make disciples, we must spend time with people. How can we change people if we don't spend time with them in terms of discipleship? How can we change circumstances if we don't spend time with people? You know? God commanded us, make disciples. So if he said, make disciples, we should spend time with people, you know. We so easily plan each other out of our lives. You know our calendars on these phones? We plan each other out of our lives. I've heard husbands and wives sometimes talk and then... Some of them would say, No, but love, we can't talk about this thing now because the calendar doesn't allow us. And then I'm like, Tear the thing up, please. There's important stuff that needs to be shared now. You have time now. Share it now. Talk it through now. Why wait? Planning is a means to an end. Our church has a calendar because we need to show each other that we want to be with each other. That's why we plan. The second thing that Paul, they shared space. Oh, man. Oh, man. If you want to know who people are, you've got to share space with them. You've got to go into their homes. There's no any other way. Go into their homes, spend time with them, sit down with them, talk with them on a regular basis. This may or may not mean living with one another under the same roof, but it will mean finding practical ways of becoming more proximate with each other. You know. Space space is a very important thing. And we could see if you just read through how Paul you could see Paul's urgency just to be with people. Nowadays our space and our times the first thing that we tell people it's off limits. It's just the first thing. I either don't have time with you or I don't have the space. And it's something about the Middle Eastern culture that we should go learn again. Pakistan, Israel, all those Middle Eastern countries. Go see how that people share space and time. Right here, yeah, you can't even rock up and surprise somebody. Surprise! People won't know what to do. Uh, you didn't plan this. I brought a gift for you. Oh, uh, we, we didn't plan you giving us a gift. I don't know how we do it. I was spending time with friends and one morning they went to surprise friends of theirs. I'm not going to say where. And they came from, I don't know, from a garage and they just thought, let's just pop in with these donuts. The guy opening the door, this was his response. We didn't make enough breakfast for you. We didn't make enough breakfast for you. Make your sums. Now that same thing has crept into church. Now I'm not saying just rock up at people and just force yourself upon them. But there's something inhumane. It's something so ungodly. It's, It's not biblical. It's not biblical people. Christ, when somebody touches him, he stands still in the middle of all the crowds and he gives those people the time of the day and he gives them their space. And then he says, What do you want? Even if it is for five minutes. And then the disciples would say, now, who are you talking about? Who touched you? He knows who touched him. Then, sharing resources. Sharing is very important in terms of resources because that was the way that the early church in the book of Acts overcome. A lot of things. They overcame poverty. Overcame struggles because they could share resources. You know, um, the fellowship of the early church was marked by how it was shared material life together. It was a very practical expression of the love. You know, so there was burdens being carried around, and people could help each other in sharing. Say, look, if you now. I don't know how this works, but it bothers me that Scripture says no one was in need. It doesn't mean that everybody had the same salary. It doesn't mean that you didn't get rich people and poor people. But Scripture is very specific. It said nobody was in need. You can be poor and don't have any need. You can be rich and always be in need. And so when, when, when Paul says, look here, I, I worked, we worked night and day. Paul says, we worked night and day. In your case, we worked night and day because we weren't a burden to you. But we shared whatever we did. We preached the gospel and we did jobs on the sideline not to be a burden to you. And then there's other cases where Paul says, look here, I didn't work, but a laborer is worthy of his wages. Bottom line is, Paul was able to share. So, the other thing is accountability. Beautiful. Accountability is about sharing in each other's suffering and the joy of the gospel. It means that we speak the truth in love. So scripture is clear in terms of sharing when it comes to accountability. If a brother sins, correct him. If he doesn't listen, take somebody with. If he doesn't listen, this is now according to Matthew chapter 18. If, tell it to the church. If he doesn't want to listen to the church excommunicate him, it's about accountability. Submit to everyone in reverence for Christ. In other words, accountability here helps us to practice for that day. Have you ever been in a group where there's always somebody that wants to speak on behalf of other people? Now I just want to tell those people that on that day you can't speak on behalf of somebody else. Your turn will come. So practicing accountability here is important because it will help us on that day to be accountable because God's going to say give an account of what you've done and we'll know exactly what you're saying, what we did and what we didn't do. And from there, well done good and faithful servant. So, Let's just get practical now. Discipleship must show in your prayer. (laughs) Dr. George Malek. He's a psychologist. He's got his doctorate in psychology. And he's a theologian. He's got his doctorate in theology. So he's a pretty out there guy. But the Anglican church in South Africa... Asked him at one stage, George, we want you to interview all the Anglican priests and see if they are fit to lead God's flock. Now this is what George told us and me. Then George would sit opposite them and then George would say, it's a beautiful day, eh? Wow, the weather's great. How many times in the week do you pray for God's people? And then some of them couldn't answer him. Some said twice and then he would fail them. He said right there he would fail them. But I agree with him. If we can't pray for God's people, how can we disciple them? If we're not intercession, at intercession, how can we be spiritual leaders? Prayer is about representing God's people in front of the throne room. Praying for God's people and praying with God's people. Listen to a man's prayer life and see if you know if he can disciple. That's why Jesus taught us the Our Father, not my Father. It's the Our Father. Whose daily bread? My daily bread. It's our daily bread. There's a reason. It was about discipleship. What do you study? Discipleship is about studying and what do you read? Show me what you read and I can tell you if you're a discipler. Discipleship must show in our social events. We're not just socializing. We're discipling. Discipling should show in our time and in our budget. We budget for those coffees to disciple someone. And we pay for it. Breakfast tomorrow, me and you, and in those breakfast time, one hour we're just going to us talking and being discipling. It must show in your partnerships and your fellowship. Who you hang out with? Why do you hang out with them? Why do I hang out with them? Your mission. We must go on mission. In show form, we must go on mission because it's part of discipleship. If we're wanting to be spiritual leaders, we must go on a mission. Where you cannot bank on your intellectual abilities anymore. You're out of your comfort zone, and now you have to trust God for something to happen. But you're working in a group with a group leader that gives instructions. Jesus sent his disciples on missions, and discipleship must show in your show. Sorry, show in your rest. Why must it show in your rest? Because I've, I've seen so many people go on holiday and then they come back and then they say, Ooh, I'm tired. And I'm thinking, yo, 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 yo. So how does it work? Because, because holidays is not about having a holiday. It's holy day. It's about spending time with God. Coming back refreshed. Discipleship must... Show in our rest, in our prayer. So sometimes people want to keep me accountable to a lot of stuff, but when I talk through these, they get offended. They don't like it. Who gives you the right to it? And then I'm just, okay. So you want to keep me accountable to certain stuff, but I can't talk to you about what matters. So how does that work? Can we sit and talk about why your prayer life, where the, why there's no existing prayer life? Can we talk about the fact that I prayed for one hour before I came into this meeting for me and you? How much thought have you put into this to ask me all of these questions? Can we talk about that? Then people are unhappy. discipleship. To grow into maturity, we need to grow in the way we receive love and the way that we love. Paul uses two examples. So we're going to just look at being a mother, the nursing mother. It's about caring. We don't tell believers, do a course or read a book. We take responsibility for their growth. Now you can ask all the mothers, everything you eat goes into the milk, goes into the baby. It works the same with discipleship. We devour the word and then we give the word in milk form to the one that's being discipled. That's how it works. The mature Christian feeds on the word of God and then shares it, shares its nourishment with a younger believer so that they can grow. That's how it works as a mother. It's just that caring. The way you can, uh, when a mother breastfeeds, when she looks into a child. Now it works spiritually and it works in the the natural. That's what Paul is saying. Look here, that's how we cared for you. It, It was a gentleness. There was a gentleness with us just to see you grow. Amidst the suffering. And then the last one is, then the concerned father. The hearts of the fathers must administer God's love. Paul says we administer love. Now, watch this. What does the father, number one, the infant receives his tender love and learns to respond with trust and affection. So when somebody just comes to Christ, it doesn't matter if they're 40, 50, 60, or 80. If they've just been saved, they're infants. In the kingdom, they're infants. So the infant then receives tender love. Because the tender love will teach them, they will learn how to respond and trust with affection. Look here, we're there for each other. It's tender love. But then, the child, the person grows. The child has to learn to respond to his tender and tough love with a deep desire to please him. Now we get tough. There's consequences for what you're doing wrong. We're talking discipleship. We're talking about restoring a culture of discipleship. So, now we're talking about age-appropriate obedience. Age-appropriate discipline. Then after that, the young man has to embrace the mystery of God's tender, tough, and furious love, what we sang saying about. With a zealous first love response. So, when you're a young man, you need to settle this. There's a zealousness, a zeal to do what God has to do because we know God's fear is God's jealous. He doesn't like to be shared. And then we come to the Father. The Father has to shoulder God's compelling, tender, tough, furious, and then injured love in responding with a deep compassion to the needs of the world around him. Fathers grow because they've been wounded over and over again, but spiritually they've received victory. That's why they dream dreams. So I can tell you there's a lot of people in in church that think they're fathers. They're not fathers. There's a few tests that needs to to be done. It wounds in such a way that nothing else will help. Only Christ can help. We're talking about a father in the faith. That's why Paul says, I bear the marks. Every disciple of Jesus in the beginning, the twelve and Paul, they died for discipling people. It cost them their lives. Jesus is greater love you than this than to lay down your friend for other people, your lives for other people. It's a cost-accounting commitment, and the reason why Christ is saying that because He knows it doesn't come cheap. But that's the fathers in the faith, the deep wounding, and so Scripture says, if you can go to the next slide the hearts of the fathers and the sons, there must be a turning of the hearts. Elijah discipled Elisha, and Elisha discipled Jehu. Jehu was the one that destroyed Jezebel. Not Elijah. David and his 400 men, nothing people came to David. Misfits. They were depressed. David took 400 misfits and he made them leaders. Just the man's capacity to turn his heart. Paul, Timothy, and Titus. Jesus and the twelve. Scripture is clear. And we're going to end over this. If you can come, Laura, please. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore. You see, the When when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a great day, but also a terrible day. For some people, it's going to be a great day. For other people, it's going to be a very terrible day. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. If this turning of the heart to disciple people, if it doesn't happen, is going to drop on every nation. And the problem lies here. He will restore. A lot of people don't know how to turn their hearts. That's why I said, what are you going to do when somebody drops an F-bomb? What are you gonna do when my father-in-law blessed us with money so that we can buy a car, and then people sit and gossip and say, "No, they stole the church's money. That's why they can have a grand car like that." What do you do? Do you get angry? Do you sit them down and talk them through? Do you disciple them? You tell me. Do you know it's wrong to gossip? turning your heart in impossible situations. Some of us here must turn their hearts to their fathers and it's going to start this morning. You don't know your dad, your dad hurt you, maybe your dad not with you but you've got to turn your heart. Because all sons must become fathers. All sons must become fathers and only a son can become a father. Some of us here must go back and revisit our principal, our boss that we work for. And we must turn our hearts toward our boss. And it's very difficult. You don't want, you hate him. You don't want to do it. I don't want to go to him. I don't want to turn my heart. But we're talking about discipleship this morning. To the best of your ability. Some of us here must turn our hearts to HQ. I'm saying it there up front and our leaders and our pastors. We're talking about turning up the hearts. We're talking about the ability to go and bear yourself in a humble position to say that I want to make this right even if you don't understand it. I want to turn my heart. I want to speak life. Some of us don't even know our father's. Some of us has been verbally and physically abused by our fathers. And we've got to turn our hearts. Some of our parents are divorced. Why doesn't this thing want to be removed from my heart? I struggle to relate. I struggle to connect. I feel agitated and irritated. It's about the turning of the heart. It's about discipleship. It's about the ability to go into a, you know, to trust God for money is fine. We can trust God for money. We even loan money, you know, borrow it money when we need food we can make a plan for food but when you walk into that hostile family situation and we have to talk about the things that matter when we walk into that room with that leader When your boss visits your office and you're like, God, please let him go out. Please let him go out. And then you make as if you don't see him and work on your laptop. Don't ask me anything. Don't ask me anything. I don't want to talk to you. And then he asks, How are you today? <laughs> but in your mind you're thinking, Leave me alone. Go away. if anybody else were to be in that room, they could cut the air with a knife. I'm talking this morning about discipleship. And we are going to stay committed in Shofar UK to train people to become spiritually and emotionally mature and to love the Word So that we, like the Apostle Paul, like Jesus, like James, like Peter, like David, like Moses, like Joshua, all the great men of God have the ability to turn their hearts. his most vulnerable point in human history when everybody wanted to kill him and they put him on the cross when Christ died on the cross he turned his heart he said Father forgive them wow Buddha can't do it because he doesn't have a heart In Islam, you must do works. But true relationship comes from that place where we sit, and for some or other reason, life transcends. We look each other in the eye, we connect, and there's a peace that surpasses all understanding in relationship. When my brother died in that car accident That week I saw my parents grow old In one week Literally I would come from school Sit with my dad He would eat And then he would freeze He would look at his food And I would eat and I couldn't talk with him. I didn't know what to say. The best that I could do with this it was, Dad, you must eat, eat. Oh, then he ate. I didn't know how to turn my heart. I can remember the, the people that wanted to put my brother behind the wheel, although they were witnesses, because. The boy that drove his father is quite high up in the traffic department. So they wanted to put my brother behind the wheel. But three witnesses testified that my brother didn't drive that car. Then you walk into the shopping center and you know what they're doing. And they're smiling and they're giving you hugs. And you're like, you're (laughs) You're wanting to put my brother behind the wheel, but but you're smiling. And then then when you get saved and and you understand the principles of sonship, then you can look people in the eye. Say them my name. And I'm gonna use the name now David because it's it's safer. Uncle David, you you don't have to give me a hug every time that you see me. It's okay. I know and you know. All that I want to say, I still have respect for you. Don't worry. And it settles it right there. Settled. You know they know the cross know Christ knows. There's some many of you have been choked by your dad. I can see this picture, you've been choked by your dad and beaten up. Locked up. Christ is wanting to restore the turning of the hearts. Let's pray. Father, we want to be serious about discipleship. We want to be serious about the turning of the hearts. Some of us have been severely wounded and we can't love, we can't access some of those areas. But God, today, in the name of Jesus, you're going to change it. people here this morning you actually want to take your life you don't want to live anymore you actually just want to take your life and just get over and God says no this morning he's going to teach you how to turn your heart there's people in the room that need to turn their heart to their spiritual leaders you can only talk business but you can't connect in heart There's some of us that even don't know our fathers. And at this stage, we need a father figure, and God was wanting us to to show us how to turn our hearts. There's some of us here, we can't turn our hearts toward our kids. We're angry with God for the way our kids are. We're wanting to blame somebody, and it's just difficult to turn our hearts towards our kids. If that's you this morning, I want you to come forward. We're going to pray for you. We're going to trust God to break that hard soil so that he can give each and every one of us a heart of flesh again, just to see and hear, so that we can start discipling nations. If there is you this morning, I want you to come. The difficulty and the challenge of turning your heart. Christ is wanting to meet you here. As people are coming forward I just pray that the rest of us will disrespect this time that God is dealing with people and that God at this stage will restore the turning of the hearts of the fathers and the fathers to the sons and that we will be serious about our discipleship mandate greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends some of us we can't feel we don't know how does it feel God's going to touch you this morning I want to thank you for coming if that is you please come and we'll pray God bless